Welcome to Speaking of Grace, the weekly message podcast from the Whole Life Church in Orlando, Florida. We're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, and multi-generational congregation committed to our mission of loving people into a lifelong friendship with God. We are committed to our vision of being a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. Thank you for joining us as we continue Speaking of Grace. Hi there, family. Everybody doing all right? Okay. Maybe feeling a little bit like I am. My daughter, Kyla, had her wisdom teeth taken out yesterday. Last night was a long night. That is, uh, I'm in the lucky, I think, 20 or 30% of people who are born without wisdom teeth, so I haven't had to be through that. Unfortunately, my daughter did not get my genetic code, and uh, and my son did. He got lucky with that one. But uh, yeah, so uh, it was kind of a, a little bit of a rough night with all the with that. So uh, I'm feeling a little tired. I'm grateful for my wife who's at home uh, taking care of Kyla right now. So uh, you think about it, give a little prayer for her quick recovery there. So, uh, but hey, how can we not be excited? Today we're talking about adultery. <laughs> Some of you are like, I did not know that was what was happening today, or I would have been up at Forest Lake or somewhere else, or Spring Meadow or Markham Woods or somewhere else. Um, and if that's the case, God wanted you here. All right, let's, uh, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to love, say that we love you. And Lord, as I'm talking about a topic that just frankly is a little bit uncomfortable, probably for all of us in, in different ways, I pray that you would give me the courage to say the truth, the grace to say it well, and a loving spirit that helps everybody know here that no matter where they're at in life, where they've been in life, what they're going through in life, they are wanted, desired, and needed in this place. We pray in your name. Amen. All right, so I want to ask you uh, two questions to ponder on over lunch, the rest of the day. What gives a person value? What gives a person value? There are a lot of messages out in the world right now about what gives a person value, right? A lot of messages out there. But what is it that truly gives somebody value? And the second question is like unto it, what gives you self-worth? What makes you worth something? I think these two questions are very fundamental as we jump into the topic of adultery and the seventh commandment. And for those of you who are new, you're like, so what's going on? We're doing a series on the 10 commandments. And so we've gone through them. We skipped over the fifth one because if we hadn't, that would have been, this sermon would be next week, Mother's Day weekend. Didn't feel like the right sermon. So uh, we went ahead and skipped over that. And that's why we're here this week. But I want to do a quick refresher with you of where we've been, because I think it's going to be important. And by the way, before I jump too far, can we just stop for a second and just admit this is an uncomfortable subject? Okay, it is. It's okay. But I also want to remind you of something else. Sex is a part of human life. We can all be glad there's sex. Right? Because we wouldn't be here if there wasn't. And I know we don't want to think about that too much, but it's a uncomfortable thing that in our society that, that media, television, 
music, all those areas are free to talk about this topic, and at church we don't. Because we don't want to offend anybody. And we also don't really want to be, you know, I mean, can you even talk about that in church? It's okay to talk about it over Well, since God created sex, I fear we can talk about it in church. Okay? And so if you've got children here, I promise I'm going to keep it pretty close to G. I will use the word sex. Okay? I'm going to use the word adultery. But other than that, we're not going to get into nitty-gritty details. Okay? Because I think that we can actually talk about this topic on a level that allows us to actually get to the real issues involved here without having to get into some of the the other things that, that we could in maybe a different series of sermons. But just want to just go ahead and just put it out there. If you feel a little uncomfortable, that's okay. Sometimes discomfort is a part of growth and a part of life, right? And if you really feel uncomfortable, come talk to me later. We'll talk about it. So what about those first uh, commandments that we've been through? Well, the first commandment we found reminds us that only God can save us. So that means that sex can't save us. The second reminds us that we're not to worship anything in God's place and we're not to put God in a box. So that means that we shouldn't be worshiping sex. The third commandment tells us that what we say about God matters. And it's not just the words that come out of our mouth, but it's the way that we act and behave. And that may be one of the reasons why God accuses human beings of committing adultery when they worship idols. The way that we behave can sometimes be taking God's name in vain when we don't do sex properly. We can rest because Jesus has done all the work. We're also told not to take away life in the sixth commandment, but instead to give life. So the question is in how we behave on this topic. Are we taking away life or are we giving life as we talk about this? So for those of you who are unfamiliar with this topic, let me go ahead and give you a quick overview of where we're going to go today. Okay. I'm going to read you this statement that I think goes to the heart of what we're going to be talking about today. Humans were created with an innate need to be loved. We want to be loved not for what is best about us, but in spite of what is worst. Did you hear that? Now, I'm not saying that you want to love other people for what's worse than them, but I'm saying that You, you want to be loved in spite of the things that aren't very lovable about you, right? That's all what we all want. We all can put on the show. We can all do the things that we know that should make somebody have a good reason to love us. But what we really want in the end is somebody to love us at our worst. Marriage is an opportunity to practice that kind of love. A God-like love. Love where we don't just love people for what is best about them, but also accept and love them with their flaws. Now, this doesn't mean that infidelity and abuse have to be accepted and that there shouldn't be boundaries for good behavior and those boundaries can't be enforced. I think that's something that the seventh commandment is actually kind of pointing out. That it's okay to say this is not okay, this is unacceptable. But what the seventh commandment is also going to tell us is that if we want to love well, we have to love deeply. We have to love through hurt. We have to love even when things aren't convenient and easy. 
So if you're not familiar with the seventh commandment, this is what it looks like. Not particularly complicated to look at on the screen. You shall not commit adultery. Well, there we go. What is adultery? Well, if you break down the original language, which I took the time to do this week, means that you're not supposed to be unfaithful in your marriage. If you get married, you're not supposed to have uh, sex with somebody that isn't your marriage partner. That's what it means. But as I've told you before, Jesus doesn't like to leave these commandments alone and make it easy on us. Jesus takes it to another level in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says that breaking of the marriage vows can include, let me rephrase that. Jesus says that adultery can include lustful thoughts. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. It's amazing how much time we spend on other people's problems, isn't it? So Jesus says that, that breaking this one can include lustful thoughts and that it includes breaking the marriage vows for any reason other than adultery. That's what Jesus said. I'm not going, I'm just telling you what Jesus said. For that reason, the Seventh-day Adventist church and most Christian denominations have understood that the seventh commandment also includes all sexual immorality. In other words, behaving outside of the context that God has laid out. And in Acts 15, when the church, early church is asked about circumcision with the Jews, I mean, I'm sorry, with the Gentiles, the Gentiles are coming into the church and, and, and there's like question marks, do they need to be uh, circumcised because that is something that we're told we're supposed to do. There are actually only a few things that the Jerusalem council came back and said, these are the things that you need to do. And what were those things? Well, um, eating meat offered to idols, don't do that. Consuming blood and meat of strangled animals, don't do that. And then finally, sexual immorality. That was the other thing they said to the Gentiles, don't do that. So these are the things that the Bible talks about. And on the outside, it looks pretty uncomplicated, doesn't it? And so that's the approach that most of Christianity throughout the millennia have taken to this subject. We make it black and white. We condemn those who do things that they ought not to do. And our answer is, as we're going about to find out, is just stop it. What am I talking about? Well, let's go ahead and, and see where most of, our, I believe, our, and especially in the United States, our views on uh, sexuality have come from. It came from our, our good Puritan brothers and sisters that came over in the 1600s. And in 1850, Nathaniel Hawthorne wrote a novel called The Scarlet Letter. And it was a story about a lady named Hester Prynne, who's married, whose husband is out, away, gone, and she becomes pre- uh, pregnant, so it couldn't have been his because he wasn't around. And so the whole community calls her up in front of them. They demand to know who the father is. She refuses to reveal it. They publicly shame her. They make her wear a scarlet letter, an A, to, to show her shame. And it's not just temporary. It's kind of a permanent kind of thing. And she's kind of becomes the outcast of society in that, kind of in that community. And so that's kind of the way that we've kind of uh, gone about this in, in church life. We take Paul's words pretty seriously in 1 Corinthians 13 that says if somebody is sexually immoral, go ahead and throw them out, keep them outside. We kind of skip over 2 Corinthians 13 when it says when the person's sorry, welcome them back and love them and, and uh, work with them. We kind of skip over that part a little bit. Um, but we shame. Here's the problem with shame. 
Shame is like pain. Pain is there for a reason. It's not bad to feel pain. Pain is a good thing. In fact, one of the worst things that could happen to you is to not be able to feel pain. Why? Because then you wouldn't know when something was wrong in your life. You wouldn't know if you had a tooth that was hurt. You wouldn't know that you could be developing a problem that needs to be dealt with. Pain actually has a place. The problem with pain is it's not good to, to keep it there. And most of us recognize that we want to get rid of pain. We want to go ahead and help alleviate people's pain. We don't want to go ahead and make them feel more pain. And yet with shame, shame has the same kind of place. Shame is something that we feel that reminds us that something's probably not right. Something's probably not right. And we probably ought to do something about that. The problem is, is that too many times Christians treat shame differently than we would treat pain. Instead of, instead of helping people alleviate their shame and saying, here's some solutions, here's some things we can do to walk alongside you. This is how we can help you with that shame that you're feeling. We say, yeah, good, you should feel that way. And we rub it in. Yeah, you should, you should, you should feel shame for a long time over that. No, that is not love. Love comes along somebody who's hurting and reeling and feeling shame and says, how can I walk with you? You say, but what if they're not sorry? Does that mean they don't need somebody to walk alongside them? Does that mean they don't need love and compassion? I think sometimes we're way too sure about some things that are not as obvious as we think they are. So in Scarlet Letter, the the twist on it all is at the end, what we discover is that it was the pastor who impregnated Hester. And the thing about it is, is that because of the way that they deal with things there, this guy will never, ever admit what happened. And because he won't admit it, and because there's no way to deal with it, it starts eating away on the inside to him to the point that he gets physically ill and starts ailing away and eventually actually at the end of it dies because of what he's kept bottled up inside and not been able to release because he lived in a shame culture that was never willing to go ahead and allow those kind of things to be addressed, discussed, and worked through. So that's one way that we can deal with with this topic. We can shame people. We can go ahead and marginalize them and put them off on the edges. I do not believe that's the way of Christ. The second way that we go about dealing with this topic is the same way that uh, occurs in this Mad TV sketch from 1995. In it, a uh, comedian that those of you who are older will recognize and those of you who are younger will just need to Google, a guy named Bob Newhart. Um, is in the sketch with Mo Williams. Bob is the therapist. Mo is his client. It's her first time in the office, and she comes in and he says, "I only charge five dollars for the first five minutes, and then it's free after that." And she says, "Well, that that that's pretty great. That's wonderful." And she goes, "But what if I? I mean, I can go probably a lot." And he goes, "No, I find most of my clients are done in five minutes." And so she's like, well, this is great. And so she says, so she puts out her problem and he says, okay, here's the answer. Stop it. And she says, okay, but what about, nope, no, no, just, just, just stop it. Just stop it. 
This is another approach that we take to sexual immorality. We just tell people, just, 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 just stop it. As if they hadn't thought of that already. Oh, it's that easy then. Oh, why did I never, why did it never cross my mind to stop it? I'm not saying that there isn't a place and a time to talk to somebody in love and say, hey, this is a behavior that's going to hurt you and it's going to hurt the people around you. Believe me, that's a stoplight that we ought to lovingly care about. But just shouting at somebody to stop it is ridiculous. Most people know, most people have a good idea when they're not doing what's right. And if it was easy as stop it, they would. So that's another way that we deal with it. A third way that we deal with it is we just don't ever do any sermons on it and we don't talk about it and we definitely avoid it in church because this is not the kind of thing we talk about in polite company. We avoid it for a number of different reasons. We avoid it because it's uncomfortable because we've been taught that using the word sex is a dirty thing to do unless we're in a public place and then it's okay, but in church, not okay to do. So we're just not gonna talk about it. We're not going to get into those deep conversations and have those kind of kind of conversations because that's, that's not really church stuff, is it? So we talk about it for that reason. We also talk, don't talk about it because we don't want to hurt people's feelings. We don't want to talk about it because somebody might feel bad. Shame. And I think that's also illegitimate because I think we've got to be able to talk about things. We've been talking for the last couple of weeks about, about some things that can be a problem, right? So we have to be able to talk about this one too. What we have to do, though, when we talk about this is come at it with humility. That everything that is in the Bible is sometimes not as obvious as we think it is. That there can be some things that can have some nuance and some depth to it that maybe we ought to think about a little bit. And that if Jesus could not condemn, sometimes maybe we should not be condemning as well. But we should be supporting. We should be walking alongside we should be saying, hey, tell me your story. Help me understand you. So to get to the bottom of this, I think it's really important for us to understand why we have this thou shalt not commit adultery thing in the first place. And to really understand that, we just have to go back to our origins, to our beginnings. In the book of Genesis, we find that God creates man and woman in his image. In his image, he created them. That's what Genesis 1 says. So important thing to understand, hear very carefully, God didn't create males in his image and as an afterthought create females that aren't in his image. He created us both, male and female, in his image, meaning that together we're his image. And by the way, let's go ahead and be careful because I have sometimes that some of my single friends will get into this and they'll think, so I'm not complete unless I'm married. Wrong. Jesus was complete. He wasn't married. Paul advocated for not being married. Complete. Okay? So marriage is not the only place where we can find completeness in our life. It is a tool, but it's not the only thing. And if it were, then Paul's words and Jesus' words in Matthew 19 about being single, we might need to rethink. But Jesus is very clear, Paul is very clear that being single sometimes is actually a blessing. 
And that's one of the other problems that in the church we do. Sometimes we make people who are single feel that like they're less than as a part of the, of the community. If you are single, you are not less than. You are Christ. And that makes you infinitely worthwhile. But marriage is a tool that God uses to make a couple important points to us. All throughout the Bible, one of the things that we see is that God uses marriage as a metaphor for the relationship that he has with his people. And I'm not just talking about being married. I'm talking about being married, adults. You know what I mean? You say, okay, wait a minute, Ken. No. Rabbis actually, many rabbis believe the most sacred book in the Bible is Song of Solomon, Song of Songs. Now, if you have not read that recently, or if you've just glossed through it, this is not a book you probably are going to be reading to kids in Sabbath school. It's an adult book. It's at least R-rated. At least. And yet, the rabbis believe this to be one of the most sacred books. Why? Because it conveys the passion that God has for you and me. He's that passionate. It's lover's passion that God has for you and me. So no wonder marriage is an important thing to God. It is a metaphor that he likes to use to explain who he is. Remember, we have we believe as in a trinity God, Father God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. And Jesus says, quoting Genesis, the two shall become one. By the way, you think Trinity, two people, God always meant to be a part of our marriage. Part of the Trinity there. It's again, a model of God's oneness with us. So marriage matters to God. And in Genesis 4, chapter 1, or verse 1, Genesis 4, verse 1, the Bible says something that I think is just really beautiful. It's talking about Adam having sex with Eve. And it said, because we know this because it says, Adam knew Eve and she conceived a son. So the Bible is using the word knew to convey having sex. Now, why this is important is because the whole point of sex, if you really stop and think about it, is not that it's some sort of physical act. One of the beautiful things is that God gave us the ability to create life. That's part of that sex act. But even bigger than that, bigger than that is that when you have sex with somebody, you are knowing them at the deepest of levels. You are seeing them in their most vulnerable state. You are knowing them. Therefore, it is not simply a physical act. It is a spiritual and emotional act. Think about how beautiful that is. Don't we all want to be known? Deeply known? We do. And this is why sex matters to God, because he's saying, hey, I created it in a certain way. You, God created gravity too. None of us like that you walk off a cliff and you fall. But God created sex and he created it in a beautiful way. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It's wonderful. 
but it also has consequences, rules, if you will, that go with it. Gravity doesn't hate you when you fall, and sex doesn't hate you when you have it and then aren't with that person anymore and feel the pain and suffering that comes from the hurt of, the, of rejection that can occur there. Because the fact of the matter is when you super glue something together, it doesn't come apart easily. And God always meant sex to be the super glue of relationships, something that brought people together. That wasn't just a physical act that brought people, but brought them together emotionally and spiritually. So if it's that important and it's a metaphor for God's passion for us, hear God's wedding vows to us that I am taking from Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse six and Isaiah 41, 43, verses one through three. And if this is who God views himself in relationship to us, listen carefully. The Lord, your God will always be at your side and he will never abandon you. You know, one of the greatest feelings of terror you can have is that somebody that you're having sex with will abandon you and choose someone else. That that intimacy that you experience will just be not much to them or not enough for them. And yet God says, I will always be here by your side. I will never abandon you. Do not be afraid for I have ransomed you. You know, the only things that have to be ransomed are things that are captured, that are being held. And that means that God has paid for us with a price. Don't we all want to feel that that other person that we love, that we care about would ransom us, that would give their best to gain our freedom if we needed it? I have called you by name meaning I know you in the deepest ways possible. You are mine. When you go through the deep waters, I will be with you. Don't we all want that in our relationships? Don't we want people who will walk through the deep waters with us? Not the person who will be like, okay, dude, no, I did not sign up for that. Because can we just be all honest for a minute? Life happens, doesn't it? It happens. And you want to have somebody beside you who will walk through the deep waters with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. The implication, why? Because I am there with you. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Tell me that's not what you want. Tell me that's not what you want out of God. That's not what you want out of the person that you care about, out of the person that you're looking for. And yet as a society, we've gotten to the point where we're like, well, you know, if it works out, it works out. If it doesn't work out, we'll move on. But what does that say about our worth when somebody's just willing to move on? It's called objectification. It means we've taken somebody and turned them into an object to be used, manipulated, rather than a human being created in God's image. It means that we have turned someone into an object to meet my needs. And by the way, husbands and wives, 
you can objectify your husband or your wife. It's not just single people who can objectify. It is very possible for us as married people to be like, hey, wait, you meet my need. You do this for me. Instead of seeing them as a human being that has their own soul and that struggles and that has needs and deep needs. And the thing about an object is this, objects can be thrown away. They don't care because they don't have any feelings. But that's not how God created us. God created us to innately want to be desired, want to be needed, want to be cared about. And anytime somebody sees you at your deepest, most vulnerable, and then rejects you, the pain is ridiculous. But let me say this too. I'm not going to lie. The first time I watched Jerry Maguire, I really liked that line. You know the one, right? What was that? Oh, show me the money. Yeah, this is a, this is a sermon about adultery, okay? Not, not, that, that sermon's coming up. No, no, come on. Some of you guys are not romantic. You complete me. Yeah, right? Oh, don't you love that? Boy, that's an ugly lie. Boy, that's an ugly lie. What's going to happen to poor Jerry when he finds out that Dorothy doesn't really complete him? But that Dorothy creates pain in his life that requires him to look for completion from God. You know, that's one of the things that I would say to you about marriage. It's one of the reasons so many marriages give up so quickly is because we discover that other person, they don't complete us the way that we thought they would. We find out that they're actually painful to us. They hurt us. Marriage is not about two people coming together and finding completion. It's about two people coming together and working towards completion. So, what am I trying to tell you today? Because I'm out of time. What I'm trying to tell you is this, is that sex was something beautiful that was given to God He did it in a specific way for a specific purpose to bind people together. And whenever we just go ahead and casually throw it around, whenever we just think that it's just something that's not particularly whatever, we're starting to turn other human beings into objects rather than into creations. We're using people to be our God, an object that we go ahead, oh, you meet my needs. You do this, you do that. That's what you're here for. Please don't hear me wrong. Sex is a beautiful, wonderful thing, and it's important. God gave it to us on purpose. He didn't have to make it fun, and he did. So what do we do if we're struggling with adultery in any of its forms? What do we do about that? This is going to sound a little trite, but can I just say it's not? Most of the time when I see problems in marriages or I see problems with adultery or whatever sexual thing that's going on, a lot of times, not every time, but a lot of times there's, there's brokenness in the relationship with God that's going on, not just the relationship with others. And I would just tell you to turn your eyes towards Jesus If you turn your eyes toward a pastor, you can sometimes get hurt pretty good. But if you turn your eyes toward Jesus, you will find a compassionate, 
Savior who understands our infirmities, who understands that it's not just as easy as stop it, who can forgive us multiple times. And if you don't believe it, look at David, a man after God's own heart who murders so that he can have sex, adultery. This does not excuse it in any way. It doesn't say that that's right. But what it is to say is that God works with us where we're at. By the way, another beautiful thing, God has the prophet Hosea marry a prostitute. Boy, (laughs) what an assignment. (laughs) And this woman does what she does. She cheats on him. They're pretty, and when you look at the names of the children, what it becomes obvious is the way their name makes it, you realize that they're not Hosea's kids. And as I told you, marriage is a metaphor. And what God basically says in this metaphor that he uses with Hosea is he says, look at how unfaithful you are, and I love you anyway. I take you back, and I take you back, and I take you back, and I take you back. And the only way I'm not taking you back is when you run away and won't come back. That's an amazing God. That's why I say focus on Jesus. He'll take you back. Build that relationship with Jesus. Make that the focus Take the focus off of the wrong thing you're doing. Put the focus on Jesus and the wrong things will start working themselves out. Second, accountability. This is one that we don't like to do within our churches. And the reason is because it requires that we be vulnerable with another human being. It means that we have to take a chance and hope that somebody will keep our confidence, love us in spite of what they hear, and not judge us into not wanting to come back again. If somebody ever comes to you in this church and says, I am struggling with this, please don't gasp. Please don't say, I can't believe it. I never would have thought that for you. Please say, wow, I am honored that you shared that with me. How can I walk with you? How can I walk with you? You know, I've got a bathroom in my house that has a window and we keep that window covered for privacy issues. But what I've noticed is that the mold grows a lot faster in that bathroom. And I've discovered that if I put the window up, the sunlight gets in, that mold doesn't grow nearly as fast. Accountability is the sunlight of the soul. When you are open, it it helps you make changes that you can't make otherwise. I will say, trust the person you're talking to. The final thing I would say is educate yourself. Spend some time in the word. Spend some time in God's word and don't just read it for reading it. Dig deep and see what's really being said there. Look at the context. Look at the whole overall. The other thing I'd tell you to do is read some really good Christian books that are out there. Now, I'm going to tell you there's some really bad Christian books out there on these topics ones that actually perpetuate hurt and don't help. But go educate yourself. Go find some books. Come ask me if if I have some books I recommend. I do. Ask Jeff Sincomani, who's a a a licensed counselor here in our church and one of our pastoral team. Talk to him. He can give you some amazing resources, but educate yourself. 
there are strategies. There are things that you can do to help you stay away from temptation, to stay away from the things that are a problem in your life. But let's not forget, all those strategies usually don't work too well without accountability in Jesus. It's my strong belief. Family, the reason why this subject matters so much is because it has to do with our relationship with God. When we're told that adultery and worshiping idols and worshiping other things is us committing adultery on God, does it ever occur to us that we break God's heart the way that somebody breaks our heart when they don't take their vows seriously? That God feels that kind of pain too? Let's go ahead and see each other as the creations that we are, the beautiful sons and daughters of God that we are. Let's do that. Let's turn our eyes upon Jesus and know that there is no part of our life that does not belong to God. Even our sex life belongs to God. Awesome. All right. Now is the time of the service where we get to respond to the sermon. If you'd like to leave a question or comment, uh, I would recommend the website because that's probably faster. Uh, and you can also make an anonymous name uh, for yourself on there in, in case you have a difficult question on this topic. Feel free to post it there. Um, that And our website is wholelife.church. So join us there. And um, we'll just dive right in. There are um, some questions where people are kind of asking for clarification if, if this is a sin or not a sin. I just want to say, like Jesus, where he said to the woman, neither do I condemn you, and not that we're perfect, but we're not here to condemn anyone. But let's, I'll still ask this question, but I just wanted to put that caveat out there. We're not here to make, try to make anyone feel more guilty than maybe they already feel. I don't know. Anyway, um, what about this, this question is, what about people who say, hey, it's, it's only physical, it's, it's not love, so it doesn't matter. Um, along with that question is also, what if I have sex before marriage? It's not adultery till I'm married, right? Those are those, those two questions that we're getting. Okay, then. Um, <laughs> let's start off the first part of it. Um, the first part, if I heard you right, was... It's, it's only physical. It's only physical. If it were only physical, then why is it that people's hearts are so broken? Mm. It's never just physical. It, I just, even, even if you don't believe in God, I have been a chaplain that has had to counsel with people. And even if you don't believe in God, when somebody that you've been sleeping with, that you've been having sex with, leaves you for someone else or somebody better looking or whatever, you quickly realize it wasn't just physical. Because if it was just physical, you just move on. It's like, you know, if you're getting a massage and the, the person who does your massages, and I'm talking about the good kind of massages, okay? But if you get a massage and, and, you, uh, and, you know, and that person moves out of town, you don't cry about it too much. You go find somebody new. That's just not what happens with sex. And so um, what I would say is that we live in a society where, where most people do not wait, inside, including inside the church, do not wait for marriage. It's my strong belief that if you wait for marriage, the dividends are huge. The dividends are huge. That's my strong belief. Now, if you do not wait for for marriage, let me say this to you. God is not done with you. It doesn't mean that you cannot have a good marriage. It doesn't mean that you have no purpose in God's kingdom. It just simply means that 
And from my reading of scripture and my life experience, that waiting till you get married pays huge dividends. It creates a bond between a husband and wife that that is special and unique, and uh, goes a long way. Um, so that's that's what I'd I'd say about that. Very very good answer. Very uh, we walked that line. I think we did it. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm just going to go with a nice positive comment here from Shay, which is a couple that prays together stays together. Yeah. Is there something about communication and prayer that we can talk about real quick? Um, there was uh, a fake statistic a long time going around that said that uh, that 99% of couples that pray together every day don't get divorced. And uh, I have searched and searched and searched to try to, because that's such a cool statistic, and I've never been able to find where that study came from. And yet, intuitively, it feels like if you're praying together, doing worship together, and coming closer to Jesus together, your marriage is much more likely to stay together and to be what it ought to be. So, um, and so, yeah, praying together, I think, um, and I, I would say actually intimately praying together, where, and what I mean by that is not just thanks for the food, thanks for this, thanks for that, take care of my kids, but just genuinely praying about the things that matter to your, your spouse, the things that are deep to them, trying to seek those things. I think those are things that will bring you together as a couple in a big way. Okay. We have more questions, but 30 seconds left. Um, okay. I'll give give you this one more. Um, this is, I think, a good one If to, that we should all hear. If your partner is struggling with sexual immorality, do you stay with them? Should we be like Hosea or what limit, what threshold? Is there any kind of limit to how much we should love our partner? Ooh, um, I think I want to be careful with this one. And mm-hmm. the reason I want to be careful with it is because I don't know the circumstances. I don't know what that means mm-hmm. particularly. Um, are we are we talking about a pornography issue? Are we talking about physical cheating with a lot of other people? Are we talking about mm-hmm. physical abuse? Um, I don't know what that means. And and it would be nice if life was always black and white and, nuance, and there wasn't nuance, but there is nuance to life. And so my answer could be maybe you should. And the answer might be maybe you shouldn't. Um, it depends. Certainly God gave the um, permission to exit a marriage because of infidelity. Mm-hmm. And yet in God's example, we see him sticking through our infidelity. And so the question I think really comes down to, to a very individual thing. And I just urge, if your spouse is dealing with that, I'd really urge you to find um, a pastor, a counselor, um, to spend some time talking with and helping you work through that issue together. Find a Christian counselor, Find a pastor to work through that issue together with and, and help you know what direction to go in. I think the key word there is maybe struggling with. I, I'm going to assume that this person means that the other person is trying to stop whatever it is, but there's definitely something to be said about a truly meaningful effort versus just, you know, someone who's unwilling even outwardly. I, you make a good point. All right. Well, thank you guys. There are more questions. This is a very deep topic. So please check out our podcast called This Is Whole Life. We're trying to answer them all. Sometimes the podcast gets long and this, uh, there's quite a few comments and questions. So um, I'm looking forward to it this week. Thank you so much, Ken. (laughs) You're welcome.
I was trying to decide whether I'm looking forward to it. That's why I laughed. Stanley's looking forward to it because he gets to listen. Um, thanks for staying through this, family. Thanks for being a part of this. I think it's important that we be able to do these things together as a family. So appreciate you being a part of it. Um, the big thing that I really want to leave no mind, no doubt in your mind about is wherever you're at in life, whatever's going on with you, you're wanted and desired here. Okay? This is not a church that thinks that we have to agree on every point of life. This is a church that believes that, that we come together as a family, work together, sometimes with differing beliefs on things, but always with love and acceptance of each other. Those are our values here at Whole Life, aren't they? Love, acceptance, forgiveness, grace, Bible, participation, and worship. So thank you for being a part of that kind of a family. I pray you felt God's grace today and we're encouraged to follow Jesus fully. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We want to love you better and we want to love those around us better. Help us to do that with your power. We pray in your name. Amen. Hi, this is Randy McGray, podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church and our podcasts, Speaking of Grace and its companion, 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff, are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, don't forget to check out the Whole Life Takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians, all focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast-related on our website, wholelife.church slash podcast. And plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the Whole Life Church inspiration you love straight into your headphones. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.